we're, we're diving into Colossians and our goal in this is really Paul stepping into a young church that is, I think they knew about the Lord and Paul's goal is to help them really move to a place where they didn't just love what the Lord had done for them, but they began to love who the Lord was. That's my goal for us as we move into this. But I want to pick up and take a look at verses three through eight as much as we can. Uh, let's do our best to get through it. Um, we, uh, if you, sorry, I forgot to do my little, like, you know, like my little buzz thing. Um, if you want the notes, they're available um, on the Vintage Guest Wireless Network. Password is Vintage, all lowercase. Um, you're going to want the notes because otherwise you're, I'm going to have to talk really fast and you're going to miss it. Um, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard that you trust in Christ Jesus and that you love all of God's people. You do this because you're looking forward to the joys of heaven, as you have been ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's changing lives everywhere, just as it changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. We, did we not just have a living example that reminds us that the gospel is going out changing lives everywhere? Epaphras, a much-loved coworker, who was the one who brought you the good news. He's Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us in your place. He is the one who told us about the great love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. I wanna take a look at a few phrases that pop up in here. Most, when we're studying the scriptures, the first thing we have to do is ask the question, what did it mean to the original hearer? The, the first listener, the first reader, we can't grab onto definitions and put them into our lives unless they were, they were definitions that they could have understood because to do that means we're adding to the text. What I love about this passage is because of what it is, the nature of it, it's a prayer for the people of God, we can grab it and pull it directly into our lives because everything overlays. There's some statements, the first one is Paul's statement that he says, we always pray for you and give thanks to God. Now we took a look a little bit at this last week, these two phrases, always pray and give thanks. I want to actually touch that just one more time. What does it look like if I understand that the world around me is my circle of influence, the people that I come in contact with? What does it look like to actually tactically build a plan where we could say, we always pray for you? How many would agree with me? That's probably a good thing to be able to say. I should be able to say the world around me, we always pray for you. How many do that all the time? So what does it look like to build a plan? I think the first movement is to sit with the Lord, go sit with the Lord tomorrow, today, whatever, this week, and begin to ask him to help you identify who are those people that my life is called to influence. Begin to write them down. And then commit to make time every day to pray for them. What I would like to invite us to do is to sit with the Lord, have their names in front of us. Now for some, I sat down and began to do this this week and realized this is a really big list. How many have that moment where you see a big list like that and it feels so daunting that the right answer seems to be just to not try? That's totally the wrong answer. Because the reason we would not try, the reason we would not step into this kind of prayer journey is because we just don't believe our prayers really matter. What if I could tell you that you are hardwired by God to hear his voice in a way that maybe other sons and daughters don't? 
So you're going to hear how to release something into someone's life that somebody else might not. In this way, you have a proprietary position in their lives to where you're going to hear his voice, understand his heart in a way that no one else would. Your prayers matter in their lives uniquely. What happens if we could recognize that maybe it's the plan of the enemy to whisper to us, it doesn't really matter. Like your prayer's really going to matter. I'll give you an example. Uh, June, July, somewhere in there, uh, I have an appointment comes into my office. It's a, it's a husband and wife here from here in Vintage. Uh, wife has just received a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. Um, if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's a rough one. The scriptures say, call for the elders of the church to pray, lay hands on you and pray. So that's what they were doing. They were like, so Pastor Gary and I sat down with them to lay hands on them and pray for them. In the midst of this journey, the Lord whispers to me, I'm going to heal her. Now, I didn't declare it like, yes. I, de- I kind of went, oh, I can't say that. But I prayed it. Lord, I just declare your healing right now. This morning, they come into first gathering and let me know that they've met with the doctors this week and the cancer's dried up. What's the point? The point is, I did nothing except be faithful to a position. And all of us, if we're faithful to those positions and are willing to take our place to say, my job is to intercede and ask the Lord, here's what I mean. I'm going to bring their name before the Lord and I'm going to say, Lord, this person right here, what do you want released over them? At the moment I hear his voice, faith has now been released inside of me because I've heard God's voice. At the moment I hear his voice and I begin to release it, I've now crossed into the continuum where I've declared I'm hearing God. So I'm either crazy or I am. No, work with me on this. This is how the Lord grows us, is he wants to release these little tiny tidbits, and the Lord says, release encouragement over them. All right, Lord, for so-and-so, I just release encouragement. In the name of Jesus, just declare encouragement over them. That's it? That's really not that big a deal? How do you know? How do we not know that what, the, what the, they needed that day so desperately was someone who could say like Paul, I always pray for you. You want to know where this hit me this week? Was in my own home. Can I look at my family that lives around me and say, I always pray for you. Now, I think all of us would nod our heads and raise our hands and go, yeah, that's a good thing. We should say that. But most of us, if we're really honest, no shame intended, no condemnation, just an honest, like, let's have a truth in lending disclosure about this. The answer is, while I know I should say that, I can't. Because I don't. Because I have yet to move into a place in life where I was willing to prioritize that time because I don't think it's that important. And I think what Paul is doing here is showing them something that's vital. Just by him saying, we always pray for you, he's showing them, this is how you should live. You should be able to say to the world around you, I'm always praying for you. I'm assuming you're thinking about it. It's awful quiet. Okay, let's move on. Paul says, we've heard of your trust in Christ Jesus. Your trust, Paul uses a word here in the Greek that means to adhere to or cling to. We've heard of your trust, your adherence or your clinging to. And I want us to consider the meaning of that word because it's the idea of attaching to something 
For me, I always think of a Band-Aid. Think about that idea of something that adheres so tightly that wherever the object it's adhered to goes, it stays with it and moves with it. And I think too many people, too many of us in our day and our time, even though we know better, will consider the idea that we've added Jesus to our lives. But Paul seems to be encouraging something very specific and important for them, that their success, therefore our success, will be about our ability to cling to Jesus. What does that mean? So Paul's going to build a theme throughout Colossians where he's really going to say to them, in essence, I want you to consider Jesus and choose to stay in Jesus. It comes up all over in his writing. We had a guest here a few weeks back, Dr. J. How many remember he's here? In his time with us during that week, he used this phrase over and over again. It just, it was, I bet he used it a hundred times. Divine nature, the divine nature. Divine, it just kept coming up over and over and over. So I've been thinking about it, mulling it over, trying to consider what does that mean? Especially as we've been in this Colossians study because things are starting to piece together. Anybody ever love the way the Lord does that where, where somebody will say something and then it's like that inattentive blindness where all of a sudden you start to see this concept all over? What is the divine nature? Jesus will make a statement that I want us to consider. In John chapter five, verse nine, Jesus says he only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what he heard the Father say. And what Jesus models with that statement is at the root of the divine nature. He lived his earthly life through the lens of heaven. I know that's a big statement. What it means is he was willing to manage his behaviors on earth and force them through the Father's perspective. In other words, he placed the Father's perspective on how to live above his own. In Ephesians, Paul will challenge this church of Ephesus to a same activity, but he uses a specific word. In chapter five, verse one, he says this, be imitators of Christ. The root word here is where we derive our word mimicry from. He says to them, I want you to mimic Jesus. And so he means that we actually choose to live our lives, catch this, by acting like Jesus taking our cues from him. We choose his nature over ours. This is the divine life. I have been personally freaking out over this lately. That somehow in my journey, I have missed the simplicity of this. My success in the kingdom is not about growing to a place where I begin to want what he wants and I think like he thinks. It, no, first begins in a place where I am in humility, willing to live and act like he lives and acts, put it upon myself like a clothing. Paul will say this over and over again. He says to put on the nature of Christ. The idea is to sink into a jacket. I want to challenge us in this area. It's okay to not feel it. It's not okay to not do it. That we are called by God. This is Paul's statement to them to put on the divine nature. That's what it looks like to trust in Jesus, that I trust his perspective for how to live more than what I think, more than what I feel, more than my own reactions. How many would, would agree with me and say, my reactions are rarely Jesus's reactions? 
And so we've got to put roots down in the kingdom and say, at some point, this gospel thing means he's going to live through me. I'm not going to allow me to live. I'm going to shut those things down. But that's stuffing. No, it's not. It's called putting on the nature of Christ, saying, I am hidden in Christ. I've been crucified. Where Paul says in Galatians, to crucify yourself daily, this is what he means. Every single day, when you want to react out of your nature, shut it down and choose his. And it's hard. But here's the thing that I think that I've never seen before. As we do this, he begins to transform us. To the level that I have the faith to put on his nature, he will transform me and add that nature to me. The way I become like Christ is by becoming an imitator of Christ. I act like him. I fake it until I make it in all the best way. When I don't want to forgive, I forgive because that's what Jesus says to do. When I want to react, how many are gifted with a little bit of hot-headed nature? Everybody's on that side of the room, so we have like the hot-headed side. So consider what that requires for us, to put on this nature. It requires trust, adherence, clinging. The only way I can live his nature is to stay close enough to him that his character and his desires supersede mine. I trust what he's said and how he's said to live so much that even when it feels foreign to me, I choose to do it. Church, that is faith that I choose his behavior even if it feels contrary to what I want to do. And in this way, I'm allowing Christ, think about this, how beautiful this is. I allow Christ or the Christ life or the divine life to be what others see instead of me. I put him on like a cloak. Now, some of us are going to have to get over how awesome we think we are (laughs) and lay it down and go, look, I'm going to choose to let Jesus be first. I can tell you, for me, there's been a personal reformation, which I don't know how it took this long. I'll be 47 next week. But for the first time, I've just, everything in me is like, I am choosing from this day forward. Nobody's going to see anything except Jesus on the front of me. Greg Sanders is going to die. And he's going to keep dying every stinking day. This is what it means to be radically transformed by the gospel. Is that we become so grossed out at our own nature. That we become committed. I got to be like this one that I've met who's so different than me. I can put him on and choose him instead. I model my life after his, and I trust his example by following it. Could I say it this way? Trusting in Jesus without following his example is a lie. I cannot say I trust him. I cannot say I've given you my life unless I am willing to allow that life to supersede mine. 
And at this point, sanctification, discipleship, and holiness all start to come together. It's no longer a belief set. I'm not believing about God. I'm actually choosing the God life. And my belief is causing something to change in the way I live, in so much that the world can't see me anymore. They see him instead. You see, the original term for the Christian that was given to the, the church in Antioch literally meant little Christs. It was given to them because they said, there's a bunch of Jesuses running around. They act like him, they talk like him, they smell like him, they do everything he did. And church, I'm just calling us back to what I think is real Christianity. James will say this, that we have the ability to choose this. That we actually can choose to set our sin nature down. That's the gift of grace. That we have the power to lay down our sin nature. What if I don't want to? I don't have a problem with that. I think it's totally fine to lay something down you don't want to. Jesus goes to the cross and says to the Father, I don't want to do this, but he still does it. So why can't we wake up and go, look, I don't want to act like you today. I want to act like me today. I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to act like you today. Why can't we wake up every day and say, look, the only person that's going to see me today is me. Everybody else is going to see him. And I'm going to take all that internal consternation and frustration and irritation. I'm just going to take it and I'm going to dump it out on him. He's the only one that's going to see the real me. How many have heard somebody say, well, they just don't see me? That's the point. <laughs> the point is get over yourself and choose him. Let go of that deep need to be viscerally honest. Get into the prayer place and say, Lord, you're going to see me. You're going to know me. You're the only one. Everybody else is going to see you. That's my commitment today. All right, let's stand.